0: I could stay here forever.
2: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by Sub China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca podcast.
0: And I'm Ada Shen in Paris.
1: First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. Premier Li Keqiang revealed that China's economy grew by around 6.9% last year, just days before the government officially released the numbers. It marks the first increase in the growth rate in seven years and is far ahead of the official target of 6.5% set in March. The rosy performance is likely to give leaders more confidence in the economy and greater leeway to push ahead with the overhauls they promised.
0: An ambitious deal between Dalian, Wanda, and IBM to join forces in China's booming cloud computing market appears to be in serious jeopardy, after sources at the Chinese property and entertainment giant told Caixin that it planned deep cuts to its cloud computing workforce. Numerous jobs were cut last year at Wanda Internet, leading to speculation that the conglomerate was retreating from the segment amid years of slow growth and mounting capital pressure. At an internal meeting last week, executives blamed the downsizing on problems in its partnership with IBM, forged last March, sources said.
1: Global hotel giant Marriott has apologized after anger erupted online over its description of Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan and Tibet as countries in a recent customer survey. Some called for a boycott of the chain, a tactic sometimes used by Chinese consumers to punish companies over politically sensitive issues. Marriott made three posts on the matter before taking a more clearly contrite stance, saying, Marriott International respects China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. We absolutely do not support any separatist organizations undermining China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. We deeply apologize for any actions that may have caused misunderstandings about the above position. As far as we know, this is the first time a hotel has let us know it does not support separatist organizations.
0: Rescue crews were forced to retreat from a burning oil tanker in the East China Sea last week after an explosion on the ship still ablaze five days after colliding with a cargo ship. The Panama flag tanker was en route from Iran to South Korea when it collided with the Hong Kong flagged cargo vessel about 180 miles east of the Yangtze River estuary. 30 Iranians and two Bangladeshis were on board the tanker. Only one body has been found so far. All 21 crew members who were on board the cargo ship were rescued and the vessel docked on an island off of Zhejiang province.
1: A controversial prosecutor who rose to fame under disgraced party heavyweight Bo Xilai is back in the limelight for refusing to come clean about her role in an earlier campaign to crack down on political rivals orchestrated by Bo and his police chief. Yao Ning, 40, was involved in nearly half of the more than 20 cases that charged over 300 individuals, some innocent, of gang violence in the southwestern municipality of Chongqing, where Bo served as the party secretary from 2007 to 2012. Those targeted included police officers, public servants, and business people critical of Bo's rule. Yao has not been implicated in these cases and was allowed to work at the municipal prosecutor's office until her resignation in early 2017. But she has come under public scrutiny after commenting on her WeChat account on her controversial handling of a 2009 case linked to a veteran Beijing lawyer, Li Zhuang. Her post, called I need only to put my heart where it was, has drawn criticism for her failure to offer a candid explanation or an apology for her role during the purge, which eventually led to the fall of Bo and his police chief, Wang Lijun. The statement triggered a public uproar because it was seen as an attempt to promote herself and the private practice she started after she left the government prosecutor's office to join a law firm.
0: Shared car leader Didi Chuxing said it will drive into the shared bike business, throwing a surprise wrench into the two-way battle for control of a massive Chinese market dominated by well-funded incumbents Ofo and Mobike. Didi, whose backers include Apple and Uber, unveiled the plan to develop its own branded shared bike service as a part of a broader announcement, saying it would launch a comprehensive bike sharing platform within its car services app. That platform will include the new Didi shared bike service as well as rival services offered by Ofo and a third player, Blue Gogo. Didi said that other services could be added in the future. Let's turn now
1: to some of Caixin Global's editors to chat about some of the big stories in the news this week. First up is Aries Poon, senior editor with Caixin Global, to talk about China's new third board and what it's doing to boost liquidity and attract a better class of companies. Aries, Thanks for joining us. So first, explain to our listeners what the new third board actually is.
3: So the new third board is China's first and largest over-the-counter stock trading platform. In fact, you can think it is just a cradle for young companies. They're aspiring to be publicly traded companies. So usually they spend a couple of years with this board. And if their profitability improved then they will migrate to the main boards.
1: Great. So what's going on now? Uh, why is the new third board suddenly in the news now?
3: So it's been five years now, but turnover has been dropping. And there were scandals that the companies were not having great corporate governance. Some of them were forced to be delisted. So um, the operator was trying to revive the board, try to make it uh, relevant. So um, that's why they are trying to modify the listing and the disclosure requirements. The main aim is to improve liquidity and to attract more high-quality startups.
1: So what specifically are they proposing to do to try to uh, remedy these problems?
3: So before I talk about the new moves, we should know that there are two tiers of companies at the new third board. Uh, There are 10% better companies, they are called innovation tier. And there are 90% just ordinary companies that are called base tiers. And now the new moves are basically targeting the innovation tier. So one of the new requirements is for the innovation tier companies, they actually need to have higher recurring revenues because uh, what happens was uh, some of these companies, they did not have sustainable business strategy. So even though they had great profits for the first couple of years, but that didn't last. So the operator tried to get rid of those companies. At the same time, they're also asking these companies to have at least 50 eligible investors. I think this is a great step because some of these Chinese companies, they are basically just owned by the founder himself, and it is not good for corporate governance.
1: And what are various experts on security markets saying about the likelihood that these measures will actually work?
3: I talked to some of these industry executives, they said um, these policies alone may not be able to drum up liquidity. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about the board is filled with uh, poorly managed companies and how to either get rid of them or to help them improve. I think that is actually the key thing in this reform.
1: Thanks for talking to us, Aries. And we will keep an eye on the story. Thank you, Kaiser. Next up is Michael Bellart, who's editor at Caixin Global. He's going to talk to us about efforts by the central bank to try to improve security for QR code based payment. Uh, in China, this is completely ubiquitous, as probably everyone knows, and it seems like everyone uses their smartphones to pay and that all merchants are pretty much on board. Uh, were we all not actually safe doing this, Michael? Just a reminder to the audience, QR codes
4: are kind of the way that a lot of digital pay platforms that are popular in China, like WeChat and Alipay, kind of use to identify users to identify each other. In other words, when you want to pay something using WeChat or Alipay, you scan the code, you get a little prompt on your screen, you enter the money, and then you're good to go. The story is that the central bank has come up with some guidelines to deal with the risks from what the central bank is calling a lack of uniform business and technical standards for QR codes. The guidelines will set technical requirements for QR code encryption, transaction verification, and do things that will to better protect users from hacker attacks and personal information leaks. It turns out that QR codes are vulnerable to viruses, but they're also kind of leave users open to fraud, which is one of the stories that's been getting a lot of attention over the last year. Um, The Southern Metropolis Daily has reported that QR code scams have cost people about 90 million yuan in financial losses just in Guangdong province in 2016. There's a lot of money that is being transferred back and forth using these payment platforms these days. I mean, they have become very popular very quickly. The kind of the latest estimate from the central bank puts the amount that was paid through mobile payment devices at about 39 trillion yuan. Ton of money. So Michael, tell us more about these scams so, scams. Uh, the one that we've heard about the most has been kind of one involving bike sharing. So, essentially, when you use a shared bike, all the bikes have QR codes on them. And when you're, once you have an account with the company, you scan the code, the bike unlocks, and you're ready to go. But, What some scammers have been doing has been kind of putting stickers, their own stickers over the QR codes on the bikes. And so that when you scan them, rather than take you to the system that runs the shared bike, it takes you to their own system that looks a lot like the shared bike system, like the MoBike system. And it will immediately prompt you. It'll tell you that your account is out of money and you need a refill. And then you, if you're not paying attention or you don't know and you haven't been keeping track of your balance, which a lot of people don't, I know I don't. It will ask you to kind of re-up, add another hundred yuan or so, and that's how they get you.
1: So, what can we actually do to avoid getting duped? And uh, are these new standards actually going to help on on that front?
4: Really, kind of the problem with these QR code scams is they're mostly due to users just not paying attention. That's kind of how they get you. It's kind of the way a lot of cons work. I'm not sure how the government is going to, what the government is going to do that's going to make users be more careful and users kind of take the initiative to protect themselves it's important that they do because these digital payment platforms that use qr codes have become so important to kind of people's lives in china
1: thanks a lot michael finally let's turn to doug young managing editor of tyson global doug happy new year to you you've got a story about huawei that you wanted to chat about uh, huawei wanting to make it into the u.s in a big way and then getting thwarted so what's the story here
2: Yeah, what happened is there's a big uh, consumer electronics show going on in the States last week, and and Huawei was hoping to make this their big coming out party, or whatever you want to call it, uh, where they made their first big formal move into the U.S. They had Gal Gadot, the actress who played Wonder Woman in the big uh, summer hit, lined up to be the official experience officer, whatever that means, but it basically means a product spokesman. Then they had, you know, a few uh, traditional retailers and online. They had Amazon and Best Buy lined up. But what they were really missing in the picture was a carrier, a wireless carrier, because in the U.S., 75% of people buy their smartphones through their wireless carrier. And that's because the wireless carriers offer big subsidies for people who buy their phones that way and sign multi-year contracts. So Huawei thought they were on the brink of uh, signing a deal with AT&T, which is one of the top U.S. carriers, and for unexplained reasons that we don't know what happened, but the deal apparently collapsed. So the curtain went up at a computer electronics show in Las Vegas, and Huawei said, hey, we're still going to go ahead in the U.S., and they rolled out Gal Gadot as well, but... Guess what? There was no carrier deal, which was really sort of the central piece of this big strategic move in the U.S. So
1: so was it a case of U.S. regulators intervening, uh, the carriers themselves getting cold
2: feet or something else? We don't know. The, the companies haven't come out. Huawei apparently confirmed at the CES event that the deal with AT&T had collapsed, but nobody is really speaking about why. Everybody is saying protectionism and national security, or maybe a combination of both. Uh, the reason Huawei got locked out for the networking equipment was definitely national security. They were worried that Huawei was too closely tied to Beijing and would put you know spying snooping software on its networking equipment and, and be able to spy on all these US citizens at these you who use these big phone companies. Uh, with the smartphones, it's less obvious, but I mean, you could still put spying equipment into smartphones, but there's no evidence yet that Huawei does that. But uh, apparently some politicians are worried uh, and actually sent a letter to the FCC saying that, the, the, the you know, the telecommunications regulator. So it's a combination of the two, uh, and some people are just saying protectionism. Trump just uh, vetoed a very uh, big deal for Alibaba to buy MoneyGram, which is a big money transfer company. And there have been a few other deal vetoes. And, and so people are saying, ah, maybe it's protectionism. And again, Trump has shown that he's going to be a little more aggressive on both national security and protectionism. So none of this comes as a huge surprise. Obviously not good
1: news for Huawei. Uh, how serious, though, is it? And what's, uh, what's next for Huawei?
2: well it's it's quite serious in terms of getting into the US market because like i said 75% of people buy their phones through their carriers so you know even if you were to sell every single one of those 25% for people who buy you know directly from uh, stores you you would still only get 25% of the market and obviously that part of the market is probably very heavily contested too So the answer is uh, Huawei is sort of experiencing the same kind of frustration it saw like five or six years ago when the U.S. essentially banned them from selling their older product line, which is uh, networking equipment in the U.S. And and now Huawei thought they could get in with the smartphones because they're less controversial than networking equipment. Uh, But it looks like it's going to be a rough road for Huawei
1: Well, this does seem to be part of a broader emerging pattern, and we will be eager to hear from you with more data points as the year advances and U.S.-China trade ties strain. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. Thanks, Doug. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at supchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Sinica Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Coa with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Round of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Yifei for the music. Be sure to check out the Cynica Podcast, the current affairs show I host with Jeremy Goldkorn, and all the news from China every day at Sup China. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com.